0: Welcome to Resilience Unraveled. I'm your host, Dr. Russell Thackeray. This podcast is a result of my fascination with health issues, resilience, performance, mental health, accountability, and critical thinking, along with many of the other obsessions I bump into in my life. I spend my time working with highly successful teams, organizations, and people, and this podcast introduces their remarkable stories, as well as my synthesis of the key issues, tips, and strategies to thrive in life. If you find this podcast useful, you can also find other information at qedod.com or russellthackeray.com. Stay tuned to the end for details of how to order a free ebook. Enjoy the podcast. So today I'm talking to Patrick Waller. Now, a few of you might remember that I interviewed Patrick ages ago, one of the very first podcasts, and he very kindly came on, on board and had a chat to us about his own career, his career uh, running and working as a financial consultant in the mad world of financial planning, such like helping people uh, build pension strategies and inheritance strategies and such like. And um, he did at that time promise to come back and talk about in a bit more detail about something really quite interesting, and it links together a couple of very um, important and current themes. One which is this idea that um, we've got a, a, a generation of younger uh, youngsters, perhaps who are sort of perceived as being snowflakes or millennials who have very little resilience. And we've talked about it with the podcasts. But also that links to the idea, of course, that you've got people who are coming through um, um, an education system which has saddled them with real, really extensive debts. And, um, and the risk is you have people with low resilience who don't have the ability to get, get on the housing ladder and to be able to really... Um, Achieve the sort of life that we, that my generation had, and which really is really just a product of lucky timing, really. Because certainly, when I went to university, I had, um, actually had a student grant. Never mind having to pay, um, having some sort of um, huge debt that's coming out of the back. There, I know my three kids have massive debts. And uh, Patrick's got some thoughts about how how a good financial strategy can help um, build both financial resilience for the younger generation, also help. Um, maximise the sort of financial leverage that our generation have. Is that fair, Patrick? Is that a good place to sort of position what we're going to talk about?
1: Yeah, it's a very good place to start. And I think to answer the question about where where this kind of thinking came from and we started talking about it was my own story about how I helped my own daughter, which was to help her to buy property about a year ago. And this... Uh, I'll talk about my daughter's circumstances first of all and then talk about how I came to be thinking about helping the next generation to to get onto the property ladder. So what happened a year ago is that my daughter was self-employed, not earning a great deal of money, and she was paying a huge amount of rent to a private landlord for a property in a not particularly nice part of London that uh, I didn't particularly like her living in, but I thought, well, that's part of growing up. So, but uh, I looked at the amount of rent that she was paying. it was £850 a month, and that was only a part share in, in a flat that she rented with her uh, then and now, well, then boyfriend and now ex-boyfriend, and that's irrelevant to this conversation. And then then it occurred to me that, number one, is she was lining in the pockets of somebody else, which irritated me, but also that a massive percentage of her after-tax income was disappearing in rent to, to create wealth for somebody else, which bearing in mind what I do for a living. I didn't particularly enjoy it. So then, then what started was to for me to have a look at my own inheritance tax planning so and to see how I could help my daughter at the same time. So what I, I then constructed, and I won't go into too much detail, but was to, I, I'm in a house in, in common with many people at my age, I'm 60, 61 in December, will eventually downsize their homes. And, and what I did was to, Look at taking some money out of my house by way of an interest-only mortgage. It sounds counterintuitive, but uh, the amount, the interest rates on that were quite low, and that then created a debt against my estate. And uh, that that money I then gave to my daughter Charlotte. Now, that all sounds a little bit strange, but essentially taking money out of my property just meant that I could downsize my property in advance and then I'll just pay off the mortgage when when I eventually downsize which I'll do in about seven eight or nine years time. then what that allowed me to do was to hand over some money to my daughter and then I got involved in helping her with a mortgage and so on and that. so that that little bit of inheritance tax planning helped her onto the property ladder and it now means that she has a repayment mortgage and she's building her wealth and I've saved inheritance tax. Now that sounds a little bit convoluted and a little bit complex, and that's, I'm not too concerned about the detail for today. But what then happened was, coincidentally, there was an article on the front page of the Daily Mail about, about a year ago, which I still have, mm. that says we're now, in a, we're now in a situation where we've got a generation of people, a generation of youngsters, who will probably never ever be able to buy their own homes. Mm. Now, there is, there's what I consider to be a perfect storm happening here. And the perfect storm is, is several things. Number one is the, um, the reduction of interest tax relief on buy-to-let mortgages. So, we're in a situation where the tax relief you get on a buy-to-let mortgage against uh, rental income is being slowly reduced. Now, I think that within the next three or four years, that will get abolished. What that essentially means is that private landlords... The, the profit that private landlords make on rent will be reduced. And then, we then then we have something that I feel is misrepresented at the moment, and that's the world of student loans. Now student loans are, in my view, misrepresented, because student loans are something that it's called a loan, but, but the reality is that it isn't a loan at all. And Martin Lewis has a fantastic article. On his website, uh, which is uh, exploding the myths of student loans on his website, moneysavingexpert.com, and it's without doubt one of the best pieces of financial journalism that I've ever read. And, and in there, Martin describes very accurately the way that student loans work, and they're not—they're not, they're not a loan at all. The, the, the student loan is merely a way of calculating how far in debt or indebted these young people are going to be for until the age of 55. But the, the crux of this for me was is that if we start to look at the amount of money that has to be repaid on student loans, which is 9% of their all income over £25,000, but that's out of net income. It's not out of gross income. Now, what that means is that if you've got somebody forking out 9% of the salary of, let's say, £50,000, that's a, a big pile of money. And I, I did some calculations that says that if you have somebody earning, say, £50,000, in London, £50,000 a year, I know in other parts of the country it's quite substantial, but in London it just isn't. It's a relatively modest salary. So on the basis that young people will be ambitious and want to earn more money, and let's say earn £50,000, their equivalent rate of tax, including income tax at 40%, national insurance, and the student loan works out at just under 51%. So these poor, young, poor youngsters, and I, I think I don't mean poor financially, but in terms of the circumstances they find themselves in, mm. is such that <laughs> any pay rise they ever get while they're a high rate taxpayer will be taxed at fifty one percent. Now that seems to me to be insidious, and it seems to be hidden, and it's not widely publicised, and I find that really irritating. So if we start to put all of this together. So, you've now got a generation of youngsters who will probably be forced to rent. Yeah. They'll never be able to accumulate enough money to, to have a deposit to buy a house. And also, with uh, tax relief or mortgage interest being withdrawn and slowly withdrawn, I think it will go completely within the next three or four years. My view is that you'll start to see private landlords pulling out of the rental property market or property rental market. And that will then see the rise of the professional landlords who have portfolios, multiple portfolios of properties. So you've got several things, you've got student loans, you've got student loan debt, you've got what amounts to an extra income tax, and then you've got a shortage of rented property, and that therefore means that rents are going to go up. So it's not very difficult to figure out that young people, and I would say that's below the age of 30, 31, 32 at the moment, maybe 35, will never, ever, ever be able to buy their own properties. And my view view is that unless we're careful, there's going to be what could be described as resentful generation growing up. Now there is a school of thought that says youngsters are quite happy to rent everything. So they rent phones, rent cars, uh, the sharing economy. But the issue I have with, with the property market is that rents will become higher and a massive proportion of their income will disappear in rent. So, what that led me to consider after I looked at the experience of my own daughter was to say, well, it's it should be an education process for financial planners such as myself to be talking to my generation and to be talking to them about releasing capital to their to their children yeah. in in either the same way I did it or in slightly different ways. Now, clearly my generation aren't suddenly going to start dishing out hundreds of thousands of pounds. But if, if a proper financial planner uses a proper financial plan, he or she should be able to or is able to calculate how much money could be loaned or gifted to the next generation to help them onto the property ladder. Right. Now, that achieves several things. Number one is it, uh, and, w- and, and with um, with this idea of mine comes the the thinking that individuals or parents need to be thinking about Larger amounts of money goes to the next generation. I don't mean twenty or twenty-five or thirty thousand pounds. I'm talking about of the order of magnitude of fifty to hundred thousand pounds, or even more. Wow! Because if we start to look at the amount of wealth held in my generation, the UK housing stock is worth six trillion pounds. Now that's a big pile of money, but a lot of noughts on it. And the the uh, bank of mum and dad last year lent just under six billion pounds, which sounds like a lot of money. But that's actually 0.01% 0.1, 0.01 of, of the UK housing stock. So on the basis that UK housing stock will eventually be charged from inheritance tax, you're ending up in a situation where as a generation, we should be looking to convert or consider converting part of our homes or our wealth into either loans or trusts or, or outright gifts to the next generation to help them, right. because otherwise, how are youngsters ever going to be able to get onto the property ladder? Now, that that does several things. First of all, it helps the youngsters onto the property ladder. The amount of money paid on a straightforward repayment mortgage is generally going to be less than rent, and then it will also save an inheritance tax if my generation passes money down to the next generation. My, my concern in amongst all of this is you're going to end up with a, what I would call a resentful generation, right. who will look at the wealth that my generation has, and will begin to detach or, or feel separate from our generation, and we won't be able to identify with them, because they'll be renting, they use social media, uh, they um, rent everything, So, and that bothers me, and that bothers me, and, and the big winner out of this, of course, is the government. And I, I think that as a, as a profession of financial planners, we should definitely be talking to my generation and be saying, well, we ought to construct a financial plan that is, is entirely resilient. And what that means in English for, in these circumstances, is that the individual, so for example, myself or whoever I advise, we make sure that they will never run out of money. And there's ways of doing that professionally and properly and mathematically and with certainty. And then they should be able to give away or lend money to their own to their own children. And the only loser amongst all of this would be the government, because they wouldn't they would have less inheritance tax receipts. So yeah. that
0: go on, sorry, cut you off.
1: So that that's where all of this so this grew out of really helping my own daughter and then started to think about uh, what I did and what I achieved and which has worked very successfully the savings inheritance tax in my estate, helps my daughter. And she's not now paying 850 pounds a month in rent to a, to a private landlord. Um, she's she's paying off a mortgage, uh, round about the same amount, but but increasing her wealth. And all I've done is to cost the government some inheritance tax.
0: But there's a number of assumptions. I'm guessing one has to make <laughs> So first of all, you as a, in our generation, we're going to have to have enough money to be able to. So you're going to have to have enough equity or, or potential equity release of your property to be able to make it worthwhile so it makes sense if you've got a property not to have a mortgage because you're going to you're, you're you're saying that you that the way to do this is to actually take a mortgage on
1: it could so be a mortgage but obviously the, the the only way that you would ever mm-hmm. take on a mortgage is if you can afford it easily so any financial plan would have to include and say so, well if the individual hasn't got the cash if they're going to take on a mortgage, then how is that going to get paid off? Because it's it's poor advice to suddenly say, take out a mortgage and interest only that you'll never be able to pay off. But if the intention is, and there's plenty of properties around here that are a million, three quarters of a million, uh, and people generally in their 60s and mid-60s will generally say, well, we won't need this great big house when when we... um, get to our 70s we will downsize or move to a bungalow or move to a flat which yeah. is very common so why not bring that downsize forward
0: so you basically you're if you if you take the mortgage route what you're doing is you're taking a mortgage for a short amount of time until you downsize and then clear that mortgage off
1: correct and wow. that and that's what i've done in my case now it's not for everybody it's extremely important to understand that this yeah. is not for everybody but there's a, there's all sorts of uh, different ways of skinning the cat but there, there are many, many people who are sitting on fairly large amounts of money, whether that be two, three, four, five hundred thousand pounds, or they've got pension funds that they'll never get through. So it's not so for a competent financial planner can create a plan. To the, the primary concern is, of course, to make sure that an individual doesn't run out of money, that they can repay the mortgage, and they're definitely going to downsize. And there, there's no one-size-fits-all. It's always highly personal but all I'm floating out there is the idea of mm. handing over, for example, a, de- a deposit of, say, £50,000 or up to £100,000 for a property. Sounds like a lot of money. But unless we do that, the next generation, there's no way they can buy a property. Okay. So the, then, second,
0: so the second assumption is, if you haven't got a property, just as you mentioned there, there are a lot of people out there with large corporate pensions. Yes who can actually, and again, I'm sure you'd need proper financial planning advice to do this, but they can do something with that pension in order to release some, some equity.
1: Yeah, they can. We we've we got involved in a lot of pension transfers from final salary schemes, which are a little bit in the press. Well, not a little bit. They're in the press a great deal. And they're under the spotlight from the regulator at the moment. But when they're done correctly, there's, they're absolutely fine. So well, as long as they're done correctly, that's the caveat there. But in general, the, one of the reasons for transferring a final salary pension scheme is that you often end up with more tax-free cash. And in many cases, the, the fund is going to be larger than an individual needs. So that could be another source of some cash. So it may be partially savings. It may be some money out of the house. It may be looking at a pension transfer. It may be taking some more money out of the pension. It doesn't need to come from one source, but what we're talking about is, is is well, it, the advice always has to hang off a competent financial plan to say well if we take some money from the pension and possibly from the house or not as the case may be and then some money from savings or there could be inheritances from grandparents trusts and so on to help the next generation
0: and so so the third assumption is that there are in order to make this work is, so, and, and, so let me let me just backtrack one second. So, basically, I know you do a lot of work in this area about uh, helping people with final salary uh, pensions, such, such like. It's one of your sort of specialities here. Um, and I know you've just mentioned the word trusts again, and and that's 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 a very tax-efficient way of being able to do some things in this area. Is that right?
1: Yeah, trusts are extremely useful. One of the issues that is very common, and one of the conversations that I have with people who or clients who are getting involved in financial planning and if they're going to give money to their children. One one of the uncomfortable conversations I have is to ask them about how their family works. So for example, if you've got uh, a family with two sons, one of the uncomfortable things I have to say to them is, well, statistically, whether you like it or not, your sons will get married. Statistically, one of them will get divorced. How do you feel about one of your Son's uh, soon-to-be ex-wives walking off with your money. Yeah. Now, usually, it's usually the wife. It has to be said that says something along the lines of "over my dead body." That's so, okay. once once you get to that kind of planning, it's all very well making an outright gift, but what you can do is ma- make the gift into a trust, and then you you make a loan to the son who's about to get divorced, and that therefore means that the money can be protected for a few generations from soon-to-be ex-wives walking off with your money. And trusts can also be extremely useful for, for grandchildren or parking money that might one day need to be used for grandchildren or children. The other advantage of trusts is that money can be lent, uh, can be loaned to individuals, and it be on a tax-free basis. And, and, then could, when that and, could you,
0: and could you use the trust to loan money to, again, to fund the, to fund the property acquisition?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Mm. And, and and that's useful. So for example, in my daughter's case, the, the money was made uh, it wasn't exactly like this, but in general the, the broad brush was that it was made by way of a loan or there's a trust sitting in the in the background so that if she marries an idiot, then the the trust can be produced to protect my money from the idiot. So and, and that's fairly common. The the reality is that the divorce rate's fifty yeah. percent. And why shouldn't it happen to, to my children? unfortunately
0: yes. yes okay and so another assumption is that actually you need to have enough money to be able to be able to mitigate against inheritance tax so yes you
1: do all, all of this is is really uh, reliant on a competent financial plan and i guess that's a plug but it has to be because one of the issues about giving away 50 or a hundred thousand pounds a lot of people will faint and fall over and need to lie down and a and a, and a and buy a bath, cold bath, but the reality is that it's got to be, it should only be done, it should only be given away or loaned or put into a trust, <coughs> on the assumption that we can be absolutely sure that they can afford it, yes. and that involves some financial modelling techniques to cover off all of their possible outcomes, circumstances, uh, care home fees, retirement, business class flights, and that sort of stuff, to make sure that they can afford it before they give away lots of cash.
0: And I think the point you, you were making earlier is that people can find that they actually have an inheritance like tax liability without being fully aware of that because of the way final salary pensions can accrue value over the course of time. So you need to, so getting them properly valued and such like can actually reveal the need to do some proper planning because perhaps it's worth more than you expected. I had a friend of mine recently who discovered he had a pension with a large bank and um, he was an accountant and hadn't realised how much his pension was worth. And um, it was a bit of a—it very nice shock because he's able to re- retire immediately. But I think that's the point, isn't it? You've got to be, if you're not, if you're not thinking about this, you've not, you're not thought about it, and you've just got a standard pension, you're just thinking of a, a traditional retirement. Actually, what you're saying is there are some quite innovative things you can do to make your w- money work harder for you.
1: Well, innovative is, is a really, really good expression because inheritance you know, tax is charged on the non-pension estate, so the pension is treated differently. Right. But what is, is a useful strategy is to avoid uh, drawing down on pensions so that you spend the rest of the money in your estate. Now, that can be gifts and so on. <coughs> but uh, financial, financial, final salary pensions are a very really dangerous area of advice. And the regulator is having to look at them closely. But if they're done competently and professionally, they're fine. But that can release more funds that can be then used to pass down to other generations. So so again, as, as you say, everything can be personalised, is individual, is bespoke. It's not for everybody, but my, I believe that my role or something that I'm very, very keen on is to start to educate my, my generation to consider giving away more than £25,000 or 30000 to the next generation. Otherwise, the government are just going to clean up.
0: And so and so, you've used this, it, or it's, it can be used particularly for a deposit. So youngsters are getting this... So it's not about necessarily funding the whole cost of a property, which can be half a million. Well, it can be certainly, especially in London, it's hard to find change out of three or four hundred thousand pounds for a start home. Um, but really, you're looking more at the level of a deposit. So finding, as you said, thirty to fifty thousand, that would be a estate. Is that
1: the sort yeah, of? Yes, that's there? part of the solution. But also, what's happening now is that for many, I've been doing what I do for forty years, and, and many people come up with the term. Uh, I, I can act as a guarantor on my, my children's mortgage. And, and really, the, the concept of a guarantor mortgage is a little bit old-fashioned. But what's, what's happening now, which is extremely good news, is that there are many lenders who are becoming much more enlightened about helping children buy properties. So what is happening now is that there is the rise of something called a joint borrower single-title mortgage, which is what I did with my daughter. What that means is that my daughter uses her income to justify part of the mortgage. I use my income, my excess income, to to top up the mortgage as it were. The entire debt is in our joint names, but I have no part in the equity in the property. Now the advantage of that is that I carry part of the mortgage debt, which is therefore then a debt against my inheritance tax liability. All I do is I give my daughter, in this case, 250 pounds a month, and that then subsidizes the mortgage. So she's now paying what she used to pay in rent, I chip in, quite frankly, £250 a month, which is within my £3,000 inheritance tax allowance. She's paying the same as she did before, but she's living in a flat in in London where she is building up equity and wealth for the future. And the only loser in my case is the, the government and inheritance tax.
0: What about, um, and again, without getting too personal on this, but I've heard a lot about equity release schemes. You're not talking about those sorts of things here, are right? you?
1: Equity release is an area where, if you, if somebody wanted to get involved in this kind of planning to use to use an equity release mortgage, it's relatively unlikely that that would be particularly good advice. Because if somebody is using an equity release mortgage, it means it means they need the money for other other things such as home improvements or handing over to the family. And that generally will mean that their income is fairly limited and they're having to resort to equity release. So it's incredibly unlikely that the sort of planning I'm talking about would be appropriate for somebody who needs equity release. And it, it, so it's extremely unlikely. We're talking about people who have excess income or their income is more than adequate, who have enough income to justify what may be a mortgage. But we shouldn't just focus in on mortgages. It could be just straightforward gifting of capital Yep. Or it might be grandparents gifting capital and so
0: on. Yeah. So, but, so the concept is our generation releasing capital from our wealth, which often has been accrued simply because of our, the time we were born and that we were able to buy property relatively cheaply relative to the, today's situation, being able to sort of to give the, a leg up to the next generation, really. And, yes. and you're seeing this as a social as a social thing but also as a a sensible financial strategy as well and and a way of helping our own kids.
1: Well on a a personal level it just bothers me, it just bothers me that there are so many youngsters who are now going to be trapped by uh, renting, student debt and just the straightforward cost of living and and the rental economy that they will never ever be able to acquire property. Now the question then becomes why is that a problem? Well if you're looking at somebody has got a student loan, their effective rate of tax is 50% and they're paying rent, how on earth are they going to be able to retire one day? Because they'll never be able to save enough money to buy a property and they'll never be able to put enough money into pensions yeah. be able to sustain a decent retirement. So if we're not careful, we'll have an entire generation who we are more or less consigning to being, being uh, strapped for cash for the rest of their lives.
0: And actually, if you think about resilience, and just to bring it back to the sort of the subject in hand, this idea of having, to ha- having a, an asset behind you, getting a helping hand, asking for help, getting a helping hand, is part of actually allowing people to focus on their mental health, their well being, and you know, living a, a proper life actually in a secure environment, which is, which is actually where we all started in a way. Yeah,
1: that that's where we started.
0: perhaps that might explain the reason why our generation is purported to be slightly more resilient than the current one because we don't have this level of initial financial um, insecurity as part of our journey
1: it's it's highly stressful for them I would suggest my daughter I've been blessed with being able to help her but she talks about her colleagues at work who are sharing rooms in houses and they're in their late 30s and the prospects so they they are trapped and, and if our generation were, were to just think a little bit more and to take well quite frankly decent financial planning advice that kind of trap could could be removed and what about the stress as they get into their 40s and 50s they've got no equity behind them they, they've got a very small pension fund from a basic auto enrollment scheme of work how on earth are they going to be able to retire
0: yeah it's good all right that's very excellent well i mean there are many, many financial planning firms out there, Patrick, but if people want to talk to you about this, how would they get in touch with you?
1: Well, they can either go to the website, which is www.fp-ifa.co.uk, or to email me at patrick at fp-ifa.co.uk, or pick up the phone 01344 778
0: 990. It's like you've
1: done that before. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I should look forward to more financial planning advice at our next meeting, <laughs> which, which won't be taking place over this, uh, uh, this medium. Patrick, thanks so much for your help. It's been really interesting and we'll pick up another subject in a couple of months or so. Great right, stuff.
1: Thanks, Russell.
0: Take care. We hope you found today's podcast
1: useful. If you did, why not subscribe and listen to our other podcasts? We would love it if you could leave us a review. To access our resilience coaching, contact us at info
0: at qedod.com. And finally, if you'd like to download our free resilience ebook, go to qedod.com slash freeebook. Thanks for listening.